rumor, a currently circulating story or report of uncertain or questionable truth. This is Rumors of Grace, where I talk to people rumored to have found beauty and truth in broken and uncommon places. Well, welcome, friends. Today, we have Ian Cron, a friend of mine that, that has been instrumental in my life in many ways. For those of you who don't know who Ian is, he's a speaker. He's an author. He's an Episcopal priest. He's a psychotherapist. He's a songwriter. Ian, is there anything you do not do? <laughs> Focus. <laughs> He's a Renaissance man. You may have heard of him from the Typology podcast, some of his books. He talks a ton about the Enneagram as of late, which we're going we're gonna, to uh, touch on today. So, Ian, welcome to the podcast. And first of all, before we begin, how are things going for you and your family? What's going on? Yeah, things are actually going just fine. My son lives with us, my 22-year-old. My daughter is left New York and came here, so she's got a little cottage down the road, and my other kids are in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I mean, everybody's in a safe, good place. And frankly, for me, even though I'm kind of an ambivert, you know, kind of between an extrovert and an introvert, I kind of like being sequestered. <laughs> uh, it doesn't bug me as much as it bugs other people. I mean, I, yeah. I just, I have a routine and, a, you know, I get I'm it. okay. Yeah. I get it. I have friends and family members like that. They're like, oh, I love this. Give me, yeah, a it's good, not so bad. <laughs> give me a good book and some quiet and curl up in the room on the couch. I'm good. I can do this. Oh uh, Yeah, man. I've, I've been wearing my softy clothes every day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, I saw your your video cast on your YouTube channel versus your hard pants, right? <laughs> That's right. My jeans. I had to put some jeans on the other day. Oh, these are my hard pants. <laughs> hmm. Well, Ian, uh, a lot of our listeners um, are, and I've heard from them. We've talked about it on previous episodes. This is a, a an obviously difficult time for everybody, for the world, for us as human beings, as a species. And some of the things that I know have helped me over the past two and a half, three years has been a lot of your work with the Enneagram, a lot of your teaching. And I know that there's other teachers out there and that that, that self-awareness right now, specifically, people have to deal with a lot of in, in, inward stuff going on. So oh. understanding personality types, especially the Enneagram, how does it help us through this period we find ourselves in right now? Well, it's invaluable. I just did a series on the topic of the Enneagram and stress for my YouTube channel. And, you know, the response was surprisingly overwhelming. And I think it's because people are trying to figure out how can I be the most compassionate, relationally skillful, empathic, and helpful presence in my home with my family or my roommates or whoever, you know, how can I leverage the strengths of my particular type and how can I mitigate some of the not so great behaviors that tend to emerge when I'm under stress? Mm. Mm. That's, that's hard because I don't think any of us in our lifetime have had to deal with this particular type of stress and anxiety. You know, I was talking to some friends and some people and 
you know, it's real easy to get busy in our lives, get on the hamster wheel, go outside, drive, commute, go to the store, go out to lunch, whatever we're doing work. But when we're forced to be with ourselves and we're forced to be sequestered in a certain area, that's a whole nother ball game that many of us have not ever experienced to this degree. It is, but you know, I, I had a spiritual director years ago and I remember I, I was going through a very tough time and the, I, I asked him the question, how can I get life to go back to the way it used to be? You know, how, how can I, you know, go back in time or make this thing go away so that this relationship was what it was way back when, right? And he said, oh, that's the wrong question. He said, the question is, what does this new circumstance make possible for you? Mm. And I, I'll, I'll never forget the question because it's, 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 like, it's like turning it on the head, turning it on its head. It's like, no, this new situation creates a new possibility for growth, for learning, for approaching life in a whole new way that may be incredibly valuable. So we just sort of need to let go of how do I get life back to what it was and embrace the possibility that what we're going to learn in this could be of inestimable value to us mm. and others. That's great. I love that. I love that. Well, well then let's jump right into it then. So this quarantine can kind of accentuate our own personality issues and anxieties. Can you briefly just touch on each personality type and what may be going on right now with each? Sure. Yeah. Well, ones I now call the improvers, not the perfectionists. I think perfectionists has too much of a negative connotation, um, but they certainly are in, in improvers. And, and frankly, there are a few numbers I'd rather have around in a crisis than a one. They are conscientious. They're self-sacrificing. They're organized. They're dependable. They imbue strength and courage into other people in times of, of crisis. But like every other type, they have a shadow side. They got to watch out for it. And the shadow for them is repressed anger, right? If they mm. repress their anger, which is their typical pattern, they can become rigid and uncompromising, right? Their anxiety could accentuate their critical side, you know, their sort of judgmental side and become overly controlling. None of that stuff works well when you're sequestered with your family, <laughs> right? So yeah. I tell ones, you know, number one, I have a couple of, do you want suggestions for types or do you just want to know what they get like? Yeah, I mean, if you've got the time to do it, go for it. Well, you know, I can always give you one. I always tell ones to tell others they're sorry when they act out. Ooh. Saying I'm sorry come, doesn't come as easily to ones as it does to other types. Mm. It's important for ones who are not typically vulnerable to share how they're struggling personally with, with those they love about this whole situation we're in right now. You know, I just can't tell you how much, and you know this, how much others appreciate vulnerability from people, particularly whom are not naturally vulnerable. Right. So that's one of many tips I could give to one. If you want a list, I can give them, but that's that's one anyway. Mm. That's good. That's good. What about the twos? Yeah, the helpers. Oh, man. It's a, you know, again, you know, I could say about every type. I, 
a healthy version of this type would be awesome to have in my house right now. Absolutely. Right? A self-aware too is is fantastic. They're just innately warm. They're, you know, generous. They're self-sacrificing. But when they're not in a great space, they begin to try and gain, gain people's approval through calculated acts of service, right? Mm. And that's their way of trying to win emotional support from others without ever having to come right out and ask for it directly. Mm. So, you know, I think one thing that a two could begin to work on in this time of stress like this is to practice telling others what they need. Mm. Don't play the I'm fine. Is there anything I can do for you game? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, twos might be surprised to learn how much others want to be there for them, especially when they directly expect what they, you know, express what they need. Directly being the operative word in that sentence. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, I have twos in my life and they are fantastic during this time. I'm so thankful for that. Um, Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the threes. Well, this is a time for threes to really shine, actually, (laughs) because more than any other number, they are remarkably adaptable and they can easily adjust to changing circumstances and environments, probably Mm -hmm. better than most numbers. Now, that can cause some problems, right? One is when they're stressed, they can become unreasonably demanding, emotionally detached, abrupt, and even more focused on productivity than they are in less stressful times. And that's saying something, right? And so one tip for them that I think is important, you know, during the course of a normal workday, there are natural interruptions. You have lunch, Maybe you go to the gym, you know, at at some point, you have time commuting in the car. I mean, they're just, the day is broken up, right? But when you're working from home, there you you can work from 6 a.m. to 9 p.m. without any interruptions. Lose track of time. They'll just keep working, right? And so, and when they're working remotely and they're doing lots of Zoom calls, they have to remember that other people don't adjust to new situations like this one the way that they do and they can't expect them to perform at the same level that they normally would when times are normal right and they also as i was mentioning a few moments ago they do have to structure their day to build in times when they're not working Mm. because otherwise they won't stop you know so that's your tip for threes is to structure time in your day when you're not being productive yeah, I call it, you know, building in non-goal-oriented activities. Mm. They're, they're so goal-oriented, you know. You know, I'm always telling threes when I'm coaching a three, and I'll ask them, are you a runner? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I run every five days a week. And I'll say, okay, well, from, for the next three weeks, I want you to run without wearing a watch or keeping track of your times. You know what I mean? Like, like stop turning everything into a goal. They just stare at you like you didn't, they didn't understand what you said. Oh yeah. I give advice to people all the time and they look, they look at me like I'm crazy, but I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm fine with that. You know, you can follow my, my, my suggestions or not. That's up to you. That's great. Okay. One that's near and dear to your heart. Yes. Yeah. My wife said something to me, (laughs) said something funny. I was in a, 
funk the other day and she she said to me you know you're the only person i know who consistently can see the tunnel at the end of the light (laughs) 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 oh and it's true you know in relationships floors can be a handful but when they're healthy you know they're fantastic to have around you know you can you can entertain us you can counsel us you can oh yeah (laughs) floors have a lot to bring they're the most empathic number on the enneagram They have an unrivaled ability to be present to others in intense situations without giving into the urge to fix them. They, they have a way of seeing the world from a quirky angle, and, and that can be very funny and entertaining. And, but here's a suggestion for fours. Fours tend to focus on feeling things rather than doing things. Mm. Doing is what we call a repressed center for fours. And so one of the things that I tell them is don't, don't just feel, do something. You, you know what I mean? And, and, and sometimes fours will try to avoid doing ordinary things. They can be a little elitist. They can feel like there are certain tasks that are beneath them, you know, mm-hmm. like doing the dishes, like vacuuming, like cleaning a toilet, right? Or whatever, going to the grocery store and it doesn't have to be Whole Foods. Kroger will do, you know? Is that because you feel like you have much deeper things to do or think about or ponder? Oh yeah, totally. If I'm dealing with the existential big questions of life, I shouldn't be doing the dishes. Well, hey, listen, you know, you can can do the dishes and think about deep things. So anyway... I, I suggest to fours that they really focus on doing things rather than merely feeling things mm. uh, when they're under stress or not, for that matter. Has this time brought out or fueled uh, a sense more a higher sense of melancholy for you as a four? No. Okay. I'm happy as a clown. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I mean I I really mean that I I, I really. You know, I'm 59 years old. I've been around the block. This is not my first rodeo at, at pretty much anything. And I I like myself enough that being by myself, you know, with my family feels actually really quite good to me. So I, I don't, I'm one of the fortunate ones that is not climbing the walls. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's good to hear. Talk to me about fives, the, the, the deep thinkers. Yeah. The investigators. Again, fantastic humans. They're wonderful to uh, have around when, particularly when things are tough, because they are so objective, analytical. They are not led around on a leash by their feelings. Mm. And they're very, they're known for this, for being very cool in crises. This is why a lot of times you'll meet this is a bit of a stereotype, but I have met countless ER doctors who mm. were Enneagram fives. One of my best friends years ago, who now is a psychologist and a PhD theologian, he has a bunch of PhDs, he just racks them up. He, he when he was in grad school, was an EMT, no, a paramedic in the South Bronx back in the day when that was a really bad neighborhood. And, you know, He's one of those guys, the person gets in the gets in an ambulance with a screwdriver in their neck. He's like cool as a cucumber. He's like, well, oh, okay, we got a screwdriver in the neck. Here, here are the five things we have to do in this order to save this patient. Mm. You know what I mean? So 
they're great to have around in time like this. They they research everything on you know COVID nineteen. They 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 know everything that's going on. They can be informative, hopefully not alarming. Well, I think what they have to work on is limit the amount of time they're trawling on the internet, learning about COVID nineteen. Number two, because that only takes them out of relationship with the people in their house who really need them, you know, need their presence. The second thing is I always have to remind fives that they're not brains on a stick. Mm. Um, They have to really get back into their bodies. You know, Mm. we oftentimes experience, even when we're talking to a five, that they're disembodied or disassociated from their body. So one of the things they can do right now is jump on the internet and go take a yoga class. I mean, I, there's a woman whose name is Adrian, A-D-R-I-E-N-E, and she's a yoga teacher on YouTube. I think she's probably the most followed yoga teacher on YouTube. She's very good. You can start with a beginner's class, five minutes, 10 minutes, but it's important for, for fives to in, under stress or at any time, really. But again, it, things accentuate under stress. So they all the more reason to say, okay, well, I got to work on getting out of my brain and, and back into my body so I can be present to the people I'm living with. Mm. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. I have fives in my life as well. And some of the, and, and not to jump ahead, but I know that uh, as a seven, when I'm in a good space, I'll tend to, I have five tendencies, which, you know, are more con- contemplative and calm and mm-hmm. thoughtful. So I identify and have a special place for fives and my friends who are fives in my life. Many, many, I've had many, many best friend fives, Mm. which is funny because I'm a deep feeling. I'm the most feeling type on the Enneagram and they're the least feeling type on the Enneagram. doesn't mean they don't have feelings. It's just that they're more muted and they tend to be delayed. I have a good, very close friend who is a five with a four wing. Oh, yeah. And I love him to death. Highly, highly creative, and but but extremely thoughtful and intellectual at the same time, which yeah. makes for a very interesting mix. It's it's one of the most interesting, quirky, David Byrne of Talking Heads, yeah. the five or the four, Bob Dylan maybe. You know it mm-hmm. because they. If you, and what's interesting about fives and fours, by the way, if people are familiar with the Enneagram diagram, there's a there's spaces between each type as you go around, right? The space between a five and a four at the bottom of the Enneagram is twice as big as the rest. Mm. And we call that space the abyss. Fives and fours are, can go to this place where they're kind of peeking over the edge down into the abyss. So they can both go to a kind of a dark place. And the way it shows up for fives is if, if, uh, you've probably met one where they, they'll read Nietzsche. You know, they'll read Nietzsche and they'll they'll think themselves into a black hole, you know, into sort of a nihilistic black hole. Um, Fours can go there for a whole different set of reasons. Because when they're healthy, you know, (laughs) fantastic. What are you going to say? Because fours do it because it's fun, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you get a lot of good songs out of that at this. (laughs) In terms of, you want to talk about six? Yeah, absolutely. Six. Yeah. The, the, the loyalists. Again, a great type to have around when the wheels are coming off the universe. The thing that sixes really have to watch out for, number one, is they got to get out of the situation room. They got to get off the news. Um, the, you know, in a way, what sixes are looking for in life is certainty and control. Mm. It's like, if I could just know everything that's going on in the outside world, 
then I can prepare for what's coming. And that makes me feel safe. You know, it makes me feel, which is what they really curious. I, there's a, a wonderful teacher um, whose name is Sylvia Borstein, and she has a she's a self-identified chronic worrier, and she laughs about it. She's in her 70s now, and you know by the time you hit your 70s, you you learn so much about yourself, right? And she says, whenever she or a friend gets anxious, she says to herself or to them, and she has this great Brooklyn accent, so I'm gonna give it to you the way you hear it when she says <laughs> it. She says, "Sweetheart, you're in pain." Relax, take a breath. Let's pay attention to what is happening. Then we'll figure out what to do. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always like, you know, the sixes ought to write that down somewhere and say it to themselves every now and then. You know, it'd be very helpful for them in times of stress. That's good. That's really good. Get off the news. That's, I mean, that's great advice for all of us. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I just, I, I'm failing at it. I try to read the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal every morning. And but of course, it usually leads me to other other news sites that are completely saying the same thing the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal is are in just different terms. I was talking to a therapist the other day who I had on the show, and she was talking about some studies that they've done that sit, that sit, that show, you know, a body's response uh, to seeing uh, horrible events or seeing oh, yeah. like this is worse for the person viewing it than the person that's actually there participating in it. Because when you're there, you can play off, you know, what's going on. You can actually act. You can have other people around you. But as an observer, you're constantly feeding these, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And your body is producing the same type of reaction, but it can't engage. It can't do what it's supposed to. Yes. You know, human beings are not built, simply not physiologically built to have as much information as we do. Hmm. And, you know, it's, it's overwhelming. It, it just activates the limbic system. It, it throws us into all kinds of problems because we, we see stuff happening in parts of the country that when I was younger, you didn't even know existed. Hmm. And, and now we see one crisis after another everywhere in real time you know, hmm. on, on cable news. It's, we're not built for it. It's very unhealthy. One of the pieces of advice she said, and I'd be curious for you, this would go, I, I would think, good for a six, is practice reading the news every day versus watching it. What would you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, we don't even have cable. So mm. I don't, I have, I, I, and that was intentional. Mm. Uh, and it's also cheaper. <laughs> I, I, I find it, it annoys me because I, I can just, I hate feeling like I'm being manipulated with fear. And that's exactly what I'm, is happening. Yeah. That's good. All right. Let's see. Let's jump to sevens. Oh, you, you sevens. Well, um, I, I mentioned this the other day on a podcast. Um, one of the things that I, I wonder if people know is that the word enthusiast, which is what y'all are called, comes from two Greek words, en, meaning in, and theos, which means God. And so roughly translates to the idea of Full of God. Mm. So isn't that lovely that this idea that sevens, when they're at, at the best expression of themselves, are full of God? Mm. Now, you, you definitely want that around your house when, yeah. when, time, when times are tough. <laughs> you know, uh, a good piece of advice for sevens, and we were speaking about this earlier. There, there, we talk on, in the Enneagram about self-referencing types. 
and other referencing types. Mm. Self-referencing types tend to pay more attention to their own needs and feelings and desires rather than those of others. Whereas other referencing types do precisely the opposite. So neither is good in a way. You you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You need to balance one out with the other. So one of the things I encourage sevens to do is to recognize and try to meet the needs and desires of others rather than simply their own. I mean, it, it to intentionally say, I'm going to become more other referencing Good. than I am typically. I was, I, I saw that piece. Actually, I think it launched today where you talked about sevens. And one of the things too, you talked about having a regular practice of, of meditation and breathing and practicing being present. And I, I've really tried to adopt that the last few months. And it's made such a huge difference in my life, starting the day that way. I, I say it to everybody. I, you know, I tell people, hey, listen, go download the app Headspace. If you're, a new, if you're new to meditation, it can be very helpful rather than jumping into silent meditation, which can be difficult. Though I think in the end, better actually but and i actually recommended a article from a buddhist magazine because you know buddhism in 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 the western perspective is not a religion it's a science right right? Mm -hmm. this but i took a lot of bad comments on that as though i had somehow or another injected some kind of strange you know religious heresy but really it's a science and i recommended that they go to lion's roar magazine and just type in Beginner's meditation. It's just mindfulness meditation. That's all it is. Right. It doesn't have any spiritual. I mean, it, you could just take it from a purely scientific perspective if you like. And that's good. Uh, I talked to just, my I talked to my daughter the other day. I said, I'm going to be talking to Ian. Is there any? And she's in New York City. She's almost 21. She's also a seven. And I said, Is there anything you would like me to ask him? And she said. <laughs> just like, oh my gosh, I'm climbing the walls. I got to get out of here. Imagine being in New York City stacked on top of each other as a seven, not being able to go out. Yeah. Well, you know, becoming other referencing, I mean, you have to become self-aware and say, well, let me say this, you know, sevens love adventure, right? They actually lust after adventure in ways that can become adrenalized and very unhealthy. That said, I, I I often like to say to sevens that the greatest adventure of all is learning how to love. And so you may not like the pace that you're living in or the four walls or the, the lack of options or escape plans that a seven is feeling right now. Mm. But if you orient yourself correctly to conditions, you, you could say the adventure for me right now is to learn how to love the people I live with. That's good. That's really good. Thank you for that. Yeah. Eights. Eights, man. I have, you know, you know, I have an eight mother, a 92 year old mother and a 28 year old daughter who I adore. And I called my mom the other day and and just, you know, jokingly said to her, have you been attacked by the coronavirus yet? And she goes, it wouldn't dare. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's an, that's an eight answer right there, man. It wouldn't dare, you know. Bring it on. You know, 
<laughs> yeah, the challengers, you know, these larger than life presences. But, you know, in a, in a crisis, they're energetic. They, they inspire confidence. They mobilize people to act. And they're wicked smart a lot of the times. And they're very quick-witted, like sevens. It, it, it's a different quality of humor, but they can be very, very funny. You know, when they're under stress and they're not very skillful in their type, they can be hell on wheels. They can become overbearing, overly expansive. They bring too much intensity to situations sometimes, hmm. more intensity than the needs to be brought to a situation, a conversation, a room, whatever it may be. Always looking for a fight? Is that an eight? Not always. That's kind of a stereotype. I'd say that eights aren't always looking for a fight. They're just not afraid of one. Right. Or of a confrontation. You know, there are some eights who are very unhealthy that go looking for it. But a lot of eights I know, they're not looking for an argument, but they're not they're not walking away from one either. You know, if they get really bored, they may, <laughs> they might, they, just for the fun of it. Whip you know what up. I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, my daughter, we used to laugh, you know, on Thanksgiving, we'd all be around the table, extended family and family. And if she starts to get bored because people are talking about their vacations or something, I can tell we're about to have a problem. She starts <laughs> looking at her texts under the table. That's the first sign. The second sign is when she says something like, ah, you know, if I have to spend another four years with this president, I'll throw myself under a bus. <laughs> and then and then she looks around the table. <laughs> waiting for and, you know, waiting. And, you know, then there's going to be 20 minutes of arguing. And then and then she sits back and she just kind of enjoys it. <laughs> you know? I go do the dishes when that happens. But, you know, because I don't want anything to do with it because I'm a withdrawing type. She's an assertive type. So. I think eights these days need to remember that, you know, people are feeling more defenseless than ever. Mm. They, they can tend to judge others as weak when they share tender feelings, when, when other people share tender feelings. Mm. So I, I always tell them, broaden your definition of courage to include vulnerability. Like risk sharing your heart at deeper levels with other people because vulnerability is what requires courage. Being defended and aggressive is not courage. That that's a strategy to avoid being hurt. If they really want to do their work, they really should should aim on exercising their vulnerability muscle. Sure. You know. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Nines, the last one on our list. Oh yes. Well, again, I have two very important nines in my life: my wife and my daughter. Again, who doesn't want a peacemaker around? Who doesn't want someone who knows how to bring peace to the environment right now? I can, I, I laugh. My daughter Maddie's a nine. And I, I sometimes when I'm in a bad, sort of anxious space, I'll call her just to hear her voice because it's better than 10, 10 milligrams of Xanax. She's just such a calming influence on me, as is my wife, you know. You know, the danger for nines, I think, this is always a danger, but again, all these things I'm talking about become, they, they, they flower under stress in a, in a, a way that we don't want them to. The, the defense mechanism for nines is called self-narcotization. Uh, a, a more friendly term might be numbing. They know how to check out to numb themselves. And they'll do this by spinning on habits, by mindlessly repeating familiar solutions, many of which don't work, but they don't exert the calories to try and come up with a new one. They can become passive. They'll lay on the couch and binge too much Netflix, which means I guess all of us are nines right now. They'll overeat. They'll nap. 
they'll drink too much, they'll, you know, eat a sleeve of donuts, you know. And what they're doing there is they're actually dealing with their anger, right? It, numbing is a way of holding anger down hmm. because what nines want is to feel inner peace all the time. So if they start to feel anger, if they start to feel feelings that are uncomfortable, what better thing to do than, you know, eat a gallon of ice cream or watch, you know, all of Breaking Bad in two days, you know? <laughs> um, so they just, we, the reason I say this is what we need right now is engaged people, not disengaged people. And nines can go into disengagement when they're stressed mm. and when, and, and when there's, and when there's stress in the house, if people are starting to rub each other the wrong way under quarantine, they'll really, they, they'll leave the room they'll, or they'll leave. They leave like Elvis is no longer in the building. You know, right. it's like, they just, they'll just check out. So just always reminding them, don't numb. Don't, mm -hmm. don't, don't look for ways to numb. That's good. That's good. Can you talk briefly, you know, one of the things that was so helpful for me and understanding the Enneagram and you taught me a lot about this was, you know, as important or maybe even more important is understanding, you know, your tendency toward a certain number is also understanding your subtype and how can understanding your subtype help to navigate this time? And, you know, there's self-preservation, relational or sexual and social. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and really kind of, it's so easy to just, you know, slap a number and say, yeah, this, this is my tendencies and here's how I, I cope with stuff. But there's a deeper level to all of this, obviously. Um, right. And one of those levels is subtypes. Can you talk briefly about that? Yeah. Well, subtypes is a very complicated conversation. There are nine types. Each type has three subtypes. I won't go into why and yeah. I won't go into the technicalities of this. Yeah. They are self-preservation, social, and uh, sometimes they're called sexual or one-to-ones. Mm -hmm. We all have all three of those instincts, but we tend to have one that's dominant and one that's repressed. So I'm a self-preservation four. Self-preservation types tend to be concerned with their own personal survival instincts, right? So uh, like I'll say to Ann, do we have enough groceries? Wear a mask. Mm. Make sure you, you know, we, I lost all this income next month. How am I going to make that up? I mean, my natural tendency is to go toward um, matters that have to do with personal survival, that instinct. Got it. If you're a social type, you know, you're more concerned with where am I in the hierarchy of things relationally in the world. They're, they're a little bit more, it's, it's important for the social types to, to feel liked. Um, because again, it's an instinct, right? You, you don't want to be the impala at the back of the herd limping. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So we all know what happens to that impala, right? So you, three, two social types are thinking, okay, well, where am I in this hierarchy? And how does that, because in the social sense, that has to do with my survival as well. Where am I in the hierarchy? For one-to-ones, they're more interested in, my, my wife's a one-to-one. So she is much, her attention tends to migrate more toward how am I doing with Ian mm. yeah, or in my, with a close friend? So, you know, they, among other things, uh, I'm giving you very yeah. thumbnail sketches of each of these types, but th that becomes a more important issue for her than it does for me. 
one of the ways this can help you, by the way, in the time of stress is recognizing that if you're if you do not share the same subtype with your partner, you do not share the same values. Mm. And for a lot of when you figure that out, you realize, oh, this isn't personal. This is just actually people who don't have the same values, and your instincts are so ingrained in your bones and your blood. I mean, you know, it's not like you can just, you know, now, and they'll switch. They can switch, right? So let's say um, Annie got very sick. Let's say Annie got COVID-19. I would quickly move from self-preservation to a one-to-one type. Mm. But like it would flip, right? So these are not static positions. But my default really is to be concerned about who's paying the bills. Annie walks in the house. She doesn't even see the bills on the table. Right. I see the bills on the table. She she would be more concerned about how we're doing, how I'm doing. I might be a type of person who might be, I'm more social than Annie is. So she might be, if I asked her, what do you want to do tonight? There was a time when she would have said, well, let's just stay home together and watch a movie and, on the couch, you know? And I'd be like, really? Like again? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So anyway, it what the subtypes do for each number, which is helpful, is it adds another dimension or a uh, level of distinction. Mm. It, it can explain to you why two types, two people who share the same type can look so different. Mm. And that's one of the helpful pieces of it. Mm. Last question. I want you to take off your Enneagram hat now and maybe put on your, your priest, your philosopher. I know you think deeply about things. As you look, and I'm sure you pondered what's going on in the world, all of a sudden, who would have thought two, three months ago, you know, this is something out of a science fiction movie. What do you think's going on at an existential level? Is there anything going on? And how can we kind of steward this time? I think there's a lot of questions that are being answered. There's uh, asked. There's a lot of inward dialogue that people are having. There's a lot of self-awareness or lack of self-awareness that's taking place. What what do you hope to to see out of all of this? Or maybe what are you observing from a, if you were to look up from a 5,000 foot view? Well, a couple of things, maybe. One is I do hope that it brings, at least it, it narrows the gap in a highly polarized culture right now, mm-hmm. that we, we develop uh, an awareness that we are all vulnerable and that we all need each other regardless of politics or social opinions about social issues. You know, at the end of the day, we're human beings and we are, we, we cannot exist. Well, the reason human beings still exist is because we learned cooperation. Mm. If we, that's how human beings advanced is because we learned cooperation versus tribalism, right? Yes. And so, so, you know, we, we need to learn uh, again, to be reminded to love people despite differences um, and to be empathic and compassionate. Um, and, you know, I, I hope something of that takes hold. I fear that when politics comes back to the fore, that people will forget and mm. fall into the groove again, but I, I hope it softens that a bit. I, I think another interesting thing that has happened is that, you know, our ego would like us and does convince us 
that we are far more in control of our lives than we actually think we are. Yes. Uh, or than we actually are, I should say. And when something like this comes along or cancer comes along or leukemia comes, you know, or whatever it may be. So, but what's interesting about this is as a collective, not as an individual, but as a collective, our culture is experiencing this truth that we are vulnerable and not in control. We have far less control than, than we ever imagined in life, you know? And the answer I have for that is came to me from a wonderful thinker, academic, whose name is Houston Smith. And, and Houston Smith was, he died maybe a few years ago at 93. He was the world's foremost leading expert on world religions. And I mean, a genius, really, and a seven off the charts, by the way. And he had a memoir, and he was asked by someone, it's at the end of the memoir, after 70 years of, of research and studying and teaching world religions, for you as a Christian, what conclusion have you reached about the nature of God in the universe? Now, remember, he's 93 years old. And he pauses for a moment and then says, we're all in good hands. Mm. And, and I thought, I was actually kind of brought to tears a little bit, you know, that after 70 years of teaching about religion and spirituality, that that was his conclusion, that we're all in good hands. Mm. And for me, that's the antidote to, to any anxiety we might have about not being in control. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. That's awesome. Last two things. If somebody's listening to this, they're very intrigued, but how does someone, where can someone figure out, you know, what their number is, what their subtype is? What would you suggest? Yeah. Well, the first thing obviously is I'm going to promote my book, The Road Back to You, an Enneagram Journey to Self-Discovery. That would be lovely to, to read that. I like it because it's a primer and they don't have to read along technical book, which I mean, many Enneagram books are 500 pages and they're full of brilliant content, but they tend to be a little dry. Yeah. The, the primer we wrote is gives enough information to you about the Enneagram that it can move a needle positively in the right direction in your life without you having to read another book if you don't want it. Or it's a gateway drug to you reading 50 other Enneagram books, whatever. Secondly, you can go to my website, Cron I-A-N-C-R-O-N, and take uh, there's a test on it called the IEQ-9. It's the, it really is the most comprehensive test that you can get on the Enneagram. I think that might be another way. But simply reading the book might be good, too. I mean, I, I, a lot of people just read the book and figure out their type by, you know, that way. In terms of subtypes, the IEQ-9 will, will tell you your subtype. If not, Beatrice Chestnut has a book called The Complete Enneagram. And she's probably the best, I think, at yeah understanding and writing about subtypes. Yeah, I have that book and it's really, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's big and dry, but it's very detailed. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And uh, talk, tell people where they can connect with you. Obviously the Typology podcast, right? Yeah, the Typology go? podcast. I have a YouTube channel on which I do a lot of stuff. They can just jump on there. They could look at Ian Cron, go look at my channel and subscribe to it. They can you know, go to my website, learn about Enneagram Made Simple, a six-hour series I did with Don Miller on the Enneagram. Excellent. They can 
you know, there, there'll be all kinds of ways that they can pick up on that. And obviously follow me on socials and get Morgan Cron on all my socials. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for this time. I just want to say thank you for your friendship and thank you for the way that you've so selflessly given to help people understand themselves, understand their inner world, and most of all, get through this time because, you know, you're releasing stuff all the time as well about how to get through stress and how to cope with this. So thank you for that. Appreciate it. Well, I got to tell you, selfishly, it's not much of an effort because I I actually really enjoy it. I, I said to someone the other day, it's all right. It's hard for me to believe every morning when I get up that I get paid to answer interesting questions, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of like, wow, that's just like totally in my wheelhouse. So I feel like it's it's fairly effortless sometimes. That's awesome. That's awesome, Ian. Well, thank you so much. Best to your family. Tell them all I said hello, and you guys uh, continue to thrive during this time. Oh yeah, and yours as well. Tell your tell your your daughter to don't drink coffee. <laughs> Yeah, good luck on that one. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. All right, brother. See you later. Yeah.